The Old Testament reading for the fourth Sunday after the Epiphany is from Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from, you, from among you, from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. This is the word of the Lord. The epistle is from 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Concerning foods offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if, but if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged, if his conscience is weak, to eat food offered to idols? And so by your knowledge, this person, this weak person, is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. This is the word of the Lord. Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the first chapter. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority, and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent, and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? 
a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the gospel of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. In 1973, the movie The Exorcist came out. And ever since then, it's typically listed as one of the scariest movies of all time. This movie tells the story of a demon-possessed young girl, her distraught mother, and two priests assigned to perform the Roman Catholic rite of exorcism. Now, I've got to admit, the movie's pretty scary. It contains things in it that are too vile and too blasphemous for me to even describe from here in the pulpit. So I'm not recommending it to anyone, let me be clear, especially not to the kiddos. But perhaps even scarier than the movie, The Exorcist, is that it was based on a true story. Now, William Peter Blatty, the author of the novel and then later the screenplay, obviously took many liberties in his work of fiction. That's what it is, fiction. For example, Linda Blair's like complete 360 head turn in the movie, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. So many liberties were taken. But it is based on a story of a 13-year-old boy in the 1940s. Uh, he's often referred to as Roland Doe or just simply Robbie to, to protect his, his identity and his privacy. Now, just as there was or there would be today, back then there were many people who, many doubters of Robbie's story, of this story of demonic possession. Some even suggested that the whole incident was a farce, that it was just the bad behavior of a troubled, pubescent boy. But, at least according to reports, strange events started happening in Robbie's life after his Aunt Tilly died. Before her death, it was said that Aunt Tilly encouraged young Robbie to, to dabble in the occult, to dabble in occult practices with her, including things like calling upon spirits using a Ouija board. So not having a firm, solid foundation in Jesus Christ, having no hope and alienated from Christ and his church, and grieving the loss of his Aunt Tilly, Robbie then began playing with the Ouija board, trying to communicate with his dead aunt. Not a good idea. Because that's when strange things began to happen, eventually skipping ahead in the story, leading the boy to the boy's full-blown demonic possession. And if the supposed demon inside of him is to believe, be believed, this was none other than Satan himself possessing Robbie. Naturally, Robbie's family first then goes to the medical field, right? They consulted medical doctors and uh, psychiatrists and psychologists, because surely supernatural things like this, like demonic possession, aren't real, right? Well, the medical science couldn't help them. They didn't even offer an explanation as to what was going on. So the family reached out to their pastor, the Reverend Luther Schultz. And with a name like that, guess what denomination Pastor Schultz was? Yeah, he's a Lutheran pastor. The story goes, though, that unfortunately, for the chagrin of us Lutherans, he should have been able to handle this, but the story is that Pastor Schultz was just out of his depth. And again, the story is that he eventually recommended the family to seek out the Catholic Church, who 
has experience with these sorts of things. So unfortunately, it may have very well been true that Pastor Schultz wasn't prepared for this. Uh, I have my reasons as to why I think that might have been, including reason was dominant and things like higher criticism and supernatural things were kind of poo-pooed at that time. And thankfully, I'm glad to report, I think in recent years, our seminaries have done a much better job of preparing pastors for these sorts of things. So thanks be to God for that. Well, eventually, Robbie ends up at a Catholic hospital in St. Louis, Missouri, where three Jesuit priests perform the Roman Catholic rite of exorcism for a month, until it is said, finally, on Easter Monday, April 18, 1949, it's reported that the boy is heard in a, in a deeper voice than normal, a deeper voice than is his, Satan. Satan, I am Saint Michael, I command you, Satan, and all of the other evil spirits to leave the body in the name of Dominus, God, immediately, now, now, now. Moments later, it is said, Robbie woke up and told the priests, he's gone. Well, there you go. Quite the story, isn't it? Why am I telling you this story? I'm not telling you this story to scare you, certainly not to scare you. Nor am I suggesting that you go and watch The Exorcist to get a true picture of what a demonic possession and an exorcism looks like, because it's not. Nor am I suggesting that the reports here, I kept trying to reiterate that, the reports say, I'm not suggesting they're 100% true, because while Satan and de demons are certainly real, authors and reporters and folks down in Hollywood especially like to, we'll say, embellish the truth a little bit, making it a little more sensational for us and to try to scare you. The reason I'm telling you this story is because one, as our culture continues its descent further and further away from Christianity, things like the occult and paganism, spiritualism, and full-blown Satanism are on the rise. I think you have seen this, you know this, right? Just last month in Des Moines at the state capitol, what, what did they try to put up there? The, the satanic temple had a statue of Baphomet, the demonic statue of, of Satan himself. So it's happening, and it's happening here, close to home. These things are on the rise. And two, stories like this serve as a warning to not separate yourself from Christ and to not dabble in things, spiritual forces, that you don't understand and are beyond your control. So it's a warning to you. And then three... Stories like this actually provide us with a tremendous opportunity to teach, but also to comfort you, dear Christians. Yes, Satan exists, demons exist, demonic possession exists. Our gospel reading this morning clearly demonstrates this is true, that fallen angels do exist and they can indeed possess people, and they are enemies of God and enemies of God's people. So on the one hand, we shouldn't think of ourselves so enlightened, so modern to not believe such things. But on the other hand, we shouldn't live in fear over them either. Hollywood likes to give the devil nearly unlimited power, almost like he's on an equal plane with God, just on the bad side, right? So you've got God and you've got the devil, uh, both equal powers fighting back and forth. But... Again, reading our gospel this morning, there is nothing further from the truth. 
In the synagogue at Capernaum, Jesus comes face to face with, face with a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. Like Robbie in the story, and this man is possessed by a demon. Not supposedly, but truly, for real, possessed. As we'll see, our gospel reading reveals just what happens when you, put, when you pit a demon or even Satan himself against Jesus Christ. It doesn't end well for them. In this case, it was the demon who actually helped us with the epiphany, right? We are in the season of epiphany still. The demon actually helps us with an epiphany. It immediately recognized Jesus for who he is, who he truly is. What do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So while Hollywood likes to capitalize on our fear of demons, in the presence of Jesus Christ, it is demons who quake and tremble in fear. In the presence of Jesus, they know. They know who he is. They know he is almighty, and he has the divine power to cast them aside and to destroy them. They know that. Now, what does Jesus answer the demon? Essentially, he tells the demon to shut up. Be silent, he says, and come out. That's it? No salt? No burning of sage? No holy water, no special jewelry, no ritual sacrifice, no circles drawn with a pentagram inside protecting you from evil spirits or other such nonsense, some Hollywood superstitions. No, it was actually quite simple. Be silent and come out of him, Jesus says. For this demon has no authority, not even to speak a word in the presence of Jesus Christ. Even if everything that the demon said was absolutely 100% true, and it was, Jesus will not allow this pathetic evil spirit to say one word in his presence. It must shut up and get out. Just as darkness cannot persist when light comes into the room, a demon is completely weak and powerless before the very Son of God in the flesh. It obeyed. It had to. The devil and his de de demons must obey Jesus Christ, Almighty God. For they are creatures. He is the creator. They are nothing compared to him. And they must obey the voice of Jesus, the one who speaks, as we heard in the gospel, with all authority. So yeah, then like an angry little toddler forced to do what he's told, even though he doesn't want to, the demon throws a little temper tantrum sending the man into a convulsion, crying out with a loud voice, but it came out. It had to, for the one with divine authority commanded it. And it really was and is that simple. So, on our own, separated and alienated from Christ, we are no match for Satan, we are no match for demons. As we prayed in the Collect of the Day just a bit ago, we live in the midst of so many dangers that in our frailty, we cannot stand upright. And that's true. But thanks be to God, we're not on our own, are we? We have Jesus Christ, the one who has all authority. The one who went to the cross and crushed the serpent's head at the foot of the cross. Defeated death and the devil. 
And he rose again with arms victorious over the grave, over sin, over the devil, over all the dominions of hell. And he is now ascended and seated at the right hand of God. And from the right hand of God, in that position of almighty power, he is interceding and he is still fighting for you right now. Where Christ is present, the devil and the demons must flee. It really is that simple. There's only one exorcist. We don't have to run to the Catholic Church for an exorcism. There's only one exorcist. His name is Jesus. No superstition, salt, any of these things, none, none of them are going to protect you from the evil one. For Christ alone has that authority. Just as mice scatter when you turn the light on, where Jesus is present, the devil must flee. Where Christ and his almighty word is preached, and his sacrament is delivered, where that happens, the devil must run away in fear. It really is that simple. So, it would be foolish of us if we were to separate ourselves from Jesus Christ, wouldn't it? It would be foolish of us to alienate ourselves from his word and his sacrament, the very places that he has promised that he will be present to forgive us, to strengthen our faith, and to have the devil running in fear. For this is precisely where he has promised to be present to forgive you, to strengthen you. Every time you hear his authoritative word spoken right now, even today, every time you're reminded of your baptism, every time you are in his presence receiving the very body and blood of Jesus Christ in the Lord's Supper, the devil must flee. He has to. For Christ, in Christ, there is only one exorcist, and he is truly present here for you with all of his, his authority for you. So fear not the old evil foe. Don't worry about superstition, the 666 on the bulletin board. That shouldn't bother you. Pay attention when we sing that hymn during the communion the sacrament. Pay attention to that. It's a beautiful hymn. And don't let those superstitions cause any anxiety or fear. Have no fear of the old evil foe. For Jesus Christ says, with the full weight and authority of his death and his resurrection, he promises, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And he promises, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, he is present. He is here. In holy baptism, Christ has made you his own. He has placed his name upon you. You belong to him now. He died and he rose again to free you from the grips of Satan. And he has separated you in the waters of baptism, separated you, or he has performed an exorcism, separating you from the devil and the unbelieving world. And he has marked you as one redeemed by Christ the crucified. You are united to Christ and all of his power and all of his authority, and he will not let you go. United with Christ, your Savior, remaining in him, abide in him, and the devil has no power and no authority over you ever again. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.